You're listening to Purpose Inspired, a podcast series by myself, Wayne Visser. This season is based on my book, Sustainable Frontiers, Unlocking Change Through Business, Leadership and Innovation. Stepping up to integrated change. In practice, CIV, implementation, is a six-step process which can be described as 1. Listen up, 2. Look out, 3. Dig down, 4. Aim high, 5. Line up, and 6. Think again. Each step is briefly explained, and of course the process must remain flexible enough to be adapted to each company context and to different industry sectors. So, step 1. Listen up. This is about stakeholder materiality, in particular stakeholder materiality analysis, which systematically identifies and prioritizes all stakeholders, including customers, employees, shareholders, suppliers, regulators, communities and others, before mapping their needs and expectations and analyzing their materiality or importance to the business. This includes aligning with the strategic objectives of the organization and then driving through to key processes and process measurables. The stakeholder materiality analysis is the first level of integration and should be conducted simultaneously for quality, cost, products, environment, health and safety and social responsibility. The analysis helps to shape a comprehensive set of goals and objectives, as well as the overall scorecard of the organization. When conducted holistically, as a part of an organization's annual setting of goals, objectives and budgets, it seamlessly integrates into how the business operates. A similar approach was developed and fine-tuned by Omnex for Ford Motor Company in a process called the Quality Operating System. Step two, look out, integrated risk. In parallel with the stakeholder materiality analysis, the risks to the business are analyzed through an integrated risk assessment. This means the identification and quantification of quality, cost, product, environment, health and safety, and social responsibility risks in terms of their potential effect on the company's strategic, production, administrative, and value chain processes. The risk measures developed need to be valid for all the different types of risk and different entities of the business and mitigation measures identified. The first two steps of stakeholder analysis and risk assessment are required of the updated ISO 9001, ISO 14001 and ISO 45001 standards slated to come out. For example, in the ISO 9001, it is called Understanding the Needs and Expectations of Interested Parties and Actions to Address Risks and Opportunities. The evolution of the ISO standards is indicative of a shift in global mindset since ISO represents over 100 different countries to prioritizing stakeholder engagement and risk management. Step 3. Dig deep. Critical processes. In Step 3, the stakeholder materiality analysis and integrated risk assessment are used to identify critical business processes 
using the process map of the organization. It is likely that the most critical processes in terms of their impact on squelch issues will include governance and strategic planning, product or service development, product or service delivery, supply chain management, and customer chain management. There may also be others depending on the particular business or industry sector. This critical processes list should also include the most relevant sub-processes. Step 4. Aim high, innovation and value. Step 4 entails the innovation and value identification element. Using the net zero net positive strategic goals or others like Stuart Hart's sustainable value framework, each of the critical processes is analysed for opportunities to innovate. Opportunity analysis is followed by idea generation and screening and the creation of a breakthrough list. This is the chance for problem-solving teams, Six Sigma teams, lean teams and design for Six Sigma teams and others to use improvement tools to take the company towards its chosen transformational goals. The improvement projects will continue for a few months until they are implemented and put into daily practice. Step 5. Line up. Systems alignment. In Step 5, the requirements of the various squelch standards, most relevant for the organization, together with the transformational strategic goals, are integrated into the management system of the organization, including the business processes, work instructions, and forms or checklists. Process owners working with cross-functional teams ensure that the organizational processes are capable of meeting the requirements defined by the various standards and strategic goals. This is followed by training to ensure that the new and updated processes are understood, implemented and being followed. Finally, step six, think again, audit and review. Integration has one final step, internal audit and management review, which creates the feedback and continuous improvement loop that is essential for any successful management system. This means integrating the value creation process into the governance systems of the organization, including strategic planning and budgeting, management or business reviews, internal audits, and corrective actions. This is what will ensure that implementation is happening and that the company stays on track to achieve its transformational goals. To conclude, I believe that creating integrated value, or CIV, is an important evolution of the corporate responsibility and sustainability movement. It combines many of the ideas and practices already in circulation, but signals some important shifts, especially by using the language of integration and value creation. These are concepts that business understands and can even get excited about, whereas CSR and sustainability tend to be put into peripheral boxes, both in people's heads and in companies themselves. More critical than the new label or the new language is that integrated value is most concerned with implementation. It is a methodology for turning the proliferation of societal aspirations and stakeholder expectations into a credible corporate response without undermining the viability of the business. On the contrary, CIV aims to be a tool for innovation and transformation 
which will be essential if business is to become part of the solution to our global challenges rather than part of the problem. The Limits of Business Rationalism So far, we've looked at integration in a very pragmatic way. However, another more philosophical way to look at integrated value is to see it as anything that transforms the dying metaphor of business as a rational machine into a new metaphor, business as a living whole. This idea rose out of one of my business lectures at university many years ago, in which Peters and Waterman's famed bestseller, In Search of Excellence, was under discussion. As it happened, I was concurrently reading Jan Smuts' scientific and philosophical treatise, Holism and Evolution, and was struck by the conceptual parallels between the rational mode of business which Waterman and Peters were criticising and the restrictive mechanism which Smuts attributed to the scientific community of the 1920s. Since Smuts regarded his theory of holism as the necessary antidote to the analytical methods which prevailed, I began to wonder about its remedial potential for the ailing business theory of the present day. So, how might holism apply as a new framework for thinking about integrated value in business? Smut's starting point in the 1920s was his conviction that the prevailing view of science was both outdated and limiting. He was referring, of course, to those commonly held beliefs that the universe was a system or combination whose action can be mathematically calculated from those of its component parts. In more simple terms, it was Newton's concept of the clockwork universe where isolated elements or factors of the complex situation have been separately studied, then they are recombined in order to reconstitute the original situation. Smuts's main criticism of this reductionist view of reality, which he called mechanism, centred on its failure to recognise the countless synergies which exist in the world around us and within us, as well as its inability to account for the process of creative evolution. In his own words, it was a fixed dogma that there could be no more in the effect than there was in the cause, hence creativity and real progress became impossible. In its analytical pursuit of the part, science had missed the whole and thus tended to reduce the world to dead aggregations rather than to the real living wholes which make up nature. Smuts's belief was that in studying and interpreting nature, we need to be faithful to our experience of her, and that our experience is largely fluid and plastic, with little that is rigid and much that is indefinite about it. His recommendation was that we should as far as possible withstand the temptation to pour this plastic experience into the moulds of our hard and narrow preconceived notions. This diagnosis by smuts of the malaise infecting science of the 1920s bears striking resemblance, we find, to the critique by Waterman and Peters of the rationalist view which has dominated business thinking since the 1980s. In a sense, this is not surprising. 
given that both stem from what management authority Peter Drucker calls the Cartesian worldview, after René Descartes, the early 17th century vision of the universe as a grand machine, which Drucker discusses in his book The Landmarks of Tomorrow. The application of this concept to business owes its theoretical foundations to American engineer Frederick Taylor and German sociologist Max Weber, who towards the end of the 1800s introduced their ideas of scientific management and bureaucratic organization, respectively. These were subsequently enshrined by the likes of the Ford Motor Company and others in the 20th century, and in many cases taken to the extreme following an explosive growth of the high-tech industry. The classic production line is a case in point. We find, therefore, a dominant philosophy of business which could be described as management by numbers, and which includes the following popular notions. Success in terms of short-term profitability, growth and return to financial shareholders. Rational decision-making, supported by quantitative analysis. Increased productivity through measurements, controls and monetary incentives. And organizations and communication in the form of hierarchies. Waterman and Peter's criticism of this rationalistic view of business concerns its lack of appreciation for the qualitative dimensions of management, as well as its limited understanding of the complexity of the human being. The problem with the rationalist view of organizing people is that people are not very rational. To fit Taylor's old model or today's organizational charts, humans are simply designed wrong, or of course vice versa according to their argument. In fact, if our understanding of the current state of psychology is even close to correct, humans are the ultimate study in conflict and paradox. Creating integrated value through holism. Given the similarity between the old models already described, it is my conviction that Smuts has some important insights to offer in the search for a new, more integral vision of business. These are to be found in his theory of holism, which I will attempt to summarize. In essence, holism, from the Greek holos, meaning whole, involved a synthesis between Darwin's theory of evolution, Einstein's theory of relativity, and Smuts' own reflections on the evolution of matter, life, and mind. The result was a revolutionary concept with far-reaching implications. What Smuts claimed to have identified was nothing less than the ultimate synthetic ordering, organizing, regulative activity in the universe, which accounts for all the structural groupings and syntheses in it. At the heart of this idea is Smuts's concept of wholes, which he believed to be the real units of nature. He describes their character as a unity of parts which is so close and intense as to become more than the sum of its parts. That is, they are synergistic. He goes on to say that every organism, every plant or animal, is a whole, with a certain internal organization and measure of self-direction and an individual-specific character of its own. 
This is true of the lowest microorganism, no less than the most highly developed and complex human personality. Implicit in this concept of holes, Smuts argues, is also the principle of evolution. He says there is a creative activity, progress and development of holes, and the successive phases of this creative evolution are marked by the development of ever more complex and significant holes. Describing the process in more detail, he says, at the start, the fact of the structure is all important in holes, but as we ascend the scale of holes, we see structure becoming secondary to function. We see function becoming the dominant feature of the whole. We see it as a correlation of all the activities of the structure and affecting new syntheses, which are more and more of a creative character. It is in this sense that he refers to mechanism as simply an earlier, cruder form of holism. The question is, can these rather philosophical and scientific concepts be applied to business? Well, as it happens, Smuts repeatedly implied that such an application would not be inappropriate. What is not generally recognized, he wrote, is that the conception of holes applies in a sense to human associations like the state and to creations of the human spirit in all its greatest and most significant activities. It is to business as a specific form of human association that I now turn in order to apply holism as a new paradigm.